You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Weatherman. Once again, everybody, welcome to the latest edition of Gun on One, the podcast. It is brought to you by Patterson Square Garden. I'm Derek Gunn. Well, when you mention the word Phillies in 2021, a lot of mixed emotions uh, come to mind. Yes, it's still early in the season, but this has been a frustrating team to watch for a lot of people. And I'm trying to sort out what this team is, what they aren't. And I couldn't think of a better person to bring in than a guy I've known for a long time. I have the utmost respect for him, and not just as a Phillies baseball writer, but as a colleague and a friend. Uh, I haven't talked to this guy, my goodness, since forever, since we learned about pandemic and COVID and social distancing and all that stuff. But I'm bringing in my guy from NBC Sports Philadelphia, Jim Salisbury. Jim, how you doing, man? I'm doing very well. It's great to be with you. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a crazy world. Uh, you know. I guess what 15 months ago, I never knew what Zoom was, and now I'm an expert on it. And we're here talking on Zoom, but it's great to be with you, and it's great to see you, D Gun. Thank you, brother. Likewise. Now, before we started this podcast, you and I were just catching up briefly, and you know, you were talking about how you you don't get to travel with the team. Um, you know, it's an NBC policy right now. It's a Phillies policy right now, not traveling with the team, but you do get to go to the stadium for home games. But you know what it's like. I'm like you. I need that up close and personal uh, interaction with the players, with the coaches, with the front office to get a better feel uh, for what's going on and to get better insight in a lot of ways. Because as far as I'm concerned, in Philadelphia, nobody has as good an insight on a team, especially that Phillies team, as you do. So how awkward has it been for you to cover the Phillies in 2001, vastly different uh, from the, from when you've ever had to cover it, other than 2020, uh, it's 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 a whole new world, uh, and it has been since I think around March 12th of 2020. Um, Derek, uh, I was in Port Charlotte, Florida. The Phillies were playing an exhibition game against the Tampa Bay Rays uh, the night before. I think Rudy Gobert 
the the issue with him and COVID came up, and and everybody's like, oh gosh, what is next? Uh, um, we're watching that game down there in Port Charlotte, and uh, a guy named Phil Goslin is playing third base for the Phillies. He's not with the Angels, but he was playing third base for the Phillies that day. And uh, you see him talking to the umpire in the fifth inning, and a few days later, I'm talking to him, and uh, and he's and I said, what are you talking to the umpire about? He says. The umpire said, as soon as we finish this game, we're out of here because everybody knew uh, everything was going to shut down. I don't think we knew it was going to shut down for that long and that dramatically and uh, play a 60-game season. Uh, but it, it's a whole new world in terms of coverage. Um, you're, you're probably a lot like I am. In fact, I know you're a lot like yeah. I am. We rely on, on, on talking to people, looking them in the eye, getting a feel for them, yep. uh, kind of finding out what makes them tick as an athlete, as a coach. And I think that helps you tell the story of that person and that team. And without that one-on-one -on -one contact, uh, it, it's very difficult. Uh, baseball writing in particular has always been a lot of access. Uh, you always are afforded a lot of time around the team. And I think that lends to better coverage. You can really tell the story and the narrative of that team on an everyday basis. Uh, baseball writing is like an everyday serial. Every day is a new chapter where where other sports don't play as frequently. So that's what makes uh, baseball unique. So it's been a real challenge um, not being able to go into the clubhouse, not being able to get a feel for what guys are thinking, how they're approaching things, how they're doing. Uh, everything is Zoom video. You might get two or three players a day. You get the manager. But it, it's very, very different. And especially I think it's different uh, in a town like Philadelphia where there's such a thirst among the fan base for information. Mm -hmm. Uh, about their teams and details about their teams. Uh, fans crave even the smallest tidbits. Uh, it's difficult to provide those. You do the best you can, uh, and you just kind of hope it opens up soon. Um, like, you know, having been on the road, not allowed in the clubhouse, there's really no reason to go on the road. I think hopefully it loosens up here in the coming months and uh, get back to, you know, covering the game uh, the way the way we all know it, it, it should be covered. Um, so... It's it's been a challenge, uh, but in some ways it's 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 forced you to um, you know uh, unearth some of your old reporting skills. Mm -hmm. Get on the phone, uh, be enterprising, think of different kinds of angles, different kinds of story ideas. Um, so in some ways, like that, it, it, it's been uh, it, it's been okay to deal with, and uh, it's been a challenge, but it can be a rewarding challenge. But uh, like you said, you're a guy who likes to be around the ballpark, talking to guys. Yep. learning about guys, uh, asking questions, you know, getting feedback, getting insights, and that just lends itself to better coverage that you can provide the fans. So in, in that regard, it, it's been a big, uh, a big change. I, I wonder if it's ever going to be the same again. I wonder if, um, really, yeah, I, I do because, you know, you, you just wonder, um, if leagues and teams and media outlets are going to say, Oh, we covered it this long for 14 or 15 months. Uh, we're going to do it this way from now on. I don't necessarily think that's better. Uh, but, you know, I was reading a story in uh, in a major metropolitan newspaper recently, I'll say, and uh, not a Philadelphia paper, but uh, they were talking to a couple of the broadcasters who did the ball games on mm -hmm. TV, and they were talking about how much they loved calling them from the studio and sleeping in their own bed. No, uh, no. And not, not having to go on the road. <laughs> I just think that's an inferior product. I think you need to be at the ballpark, need to be putting your eyes on what's happening on the field. I think you tell the story better to your viewers. Uh, but if you have these veteran um, broadcasters 
having that opinion, maybe their employer is going to say, you know what, we're going to save the money and not send you on the road. I don't think that's the case in Philadelphia. I can tell you, you know, Scott Fransky, Kevin Franson, you know, Larry Anderson, Tommy McCarthy, uh, Ben Davis, John Crock, Ruben Amaro, the guys that are the radio and TV eyes and ears of the team. They want to be out there uh, Mm -hmm. with that full tapestry in front of them. Uh, but I just I don't know where it's going to go, but I kind of hope it comes right back to normal because I want to get back to telling these stories the best way possible. And the best way possible is in person. It, you know, it, it's like you, I'm sure you've done interviews in your career. I've done interviews in my career over the phone to write a story. And the story's pretty good. The story's always better when you do the interview in person. So I, I hope we can get back to doing it all in person again, Degon. Yeah, Jim, I couldn't agree with you more. Hopefully we get back to some form of normalcy before this year is all said and done. But, you know, when I'm looking at this Phillies team, um, you know, going into the season, there were a lot of projections that had them finishing no more, no better than fourth in the division. Right now, they're tied for second place uh, with a sub-500 record. But I go back to early May, and they sweep the Milwaukee Brewers, who were on a roll at that time. They sweep the Brewers in a four-game series. They're two games above 500, and I'm thinking, okay, this team's starting to gel now, and they're going to make believers out of a lot of people. But before we get into specifics, give me a general perspective of what has happened to this team as we sit here right now. They are one game below sea level. (laughs) Uh, It's a crazy division. Everybody is kind of right around that 500 mark. Uh, The Phillies are game under 500, two and a half out of first place. Uh, There's been a lot of injuries to a lot of key players up and down the division. There's been underperformance up and down the division. The Phillies really, in a lot of ways, are kind of what we thought they'd be. Um, Coming into the, you mentioned a lot of people thought they'd be a fourth place team. I was one of those people. I also thought that um, they could be uh, finally a uh, above 500 team. Haven't had a Mm -hmm. winning season since 2011. I thought this was the year they're going to have a winning season. And I still think that. Uh, that said, I'm talking 82, 83, 84, 85 wins somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Uh, I thought they could be playoff relevant if nobody runs away with it, if they get a career year or two uh, and they stay healthy. Um, so I think all those possibilities are still on the table. Um, I think in a lot of ways, they're very fortunate to be where they are. Uh, fortunate that there's so much parity and so much um, underperformance in the division. Uh, other teams are in the same boat as they are with injuries to key players. Uh, but, you know, you get to the Memorial Day weekend, which we are, and it's the first checkpoint of the season, and you're two and a half out, a game under 500, well within striking distance in the division mm-hmm. race. Um, you're interesting. You've had a ton of injuries to key players. You haven't had your whole team together really at all, uh, all season. I think you should be maybe fortunate to be where you are, yeah. but at the same, at the same respect, happy to be where you are. You're, you're in it. Um, you know, they haven't had Real Muto and Harper together barely at all this month. Both guys have battled injuries. Uh, they had a dreadful bullpen last year. They went out and made, I, I'd say one marquee addition in that bullpen at Archie Bradley. And he spent the month on the DL and is really just getting going now. Um, you've had to overcome, um, Poor performance on offense, at least inconsistent uh, performance on offense, especially um, with runners in scoring position. Mm-hmm. And if last year you dealt with the worst bullpen in the history of the game, maybe this year you're dealing with um, the worst defense in the game in 2021. <laughs> I mean, the defense has been awful, yeah. and they haven't scored enough runs to play over that defense. So with the injuries, uh, the inconsistency, 
uh, on offense and uh, the very, very, very poor defense. I mean, they give away outs every, every night. And when you do that at this level, the other, this is the best players in the world. They seize. It's like a turnover in football. You turn over the football, you know, inside your own 50, you're going to pay for it. And that's yep. what they do when, um, when, uh, you know, they make errors or, or just don't make plays because it's not a sharp defensive team. They give away outs and the other team seizes. So, all of that has gone wrong, and yet they're, they're still right in it, a game behind, uh, two, two and a half games behind the Mets, yep. and, and a ga- game under 500. Uh, I'll take it on Memorial Day weekend. I, I've always kind of liked the analogy of, uh, a, of um, a baseball season to a NASCAR race. You know, you want to get out there, making sure you got a good car under you, and, 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 stay, in that, and stay in that pack for the, uh, for the first couple of months. And let all those SOBs wreck up in front of you. And then you need to have your car in, in a condition, uh, in a working order that you can kind of zoom in there when everybody wrecks mm-hmm. and have a hot streak. And then maybe maybe your pit boss uh, makes a nice trade and makes your car better. And you can even zoom zoom to the head of the pack at, at, a, at, a, at a later date. So I actually think they're in, if this was a NASCAR race, they're, they're in for all the all the uh, nicks and, and dents and bruises they've had on their car, they're they're okay. Yeah, they're okay. Yeah. And and you know, hats off to Joe's Joe Girardi's had some had some issues here. Uh, <laughs> but hats off to him. He's kept things together without Bryce Harper and JT Ramuto, Archie Bradley, without a fourth and a fifth starter. Um, and they're in it. It you know, I I'll I'll take it on Memorial Day, uh, mm-hmm. any day of the week. Um, what they've been through and where they are, I'll take it. Yeah, we can say what we want to say about this team, and you and I both agree. We going into the season, we thought they'd be an average team at best. But I also thought they had a lineup hitting wise that would give a lot of opposing teams and a lot of opposing pitchers fits every night. But when you look at their stats, they're eighth or ninth in a lot of major categories offensively and hitting. But I think the most alarming stat is they're first in the league in strikeouts. I mean, oh, yeah. you're talking uh, undisciplined at its finest at the plate? Well, you know, you look at the, the track records and the names, and, and I agree with you. You think they're going to give opposing pitchers fits. Um, just the opposite. When you strike out and don't make contact, you become, you become easy out. Uh, and they just don't make enough contact. There's way too many strikeouts in that lineup um, and, and not enough damage to go with it. They stressed contact all spring long in Clearwater yeah. and have come out of the gate with not a lot of it. Um, you know, Bryce Harper's been banged up. His strikeout rate is up. Uh, Alec Bohm at third base has ha- had a tough time in his second year. They haven't got a lot of production out of the position. Uh, he's racked up a lot of strikeouts. Um, I'm just curious to see what can happen if, if they can all get whole and get healthy again. But there's no question that uh, they need to cut down on the strikeouts, have a better two-strike mm-hmm. approach. Um, you know, they went through the first month of the season where they had nothing at all out of center field. They're finally getting something uh, the last few weeks out of Odubel Herrera. Um, but, I mean, they're going to need to score more runs, make mm-hmm. more contact, strike out less, because I don't know that these defensive issues are going away. Uh, you're going to have to score more runs to play over your defense. You're going to have to score more runs so you don't drive your starting pitchers crazy. Their starting mm-hmm. pitches have been pretty good. Uh, the top three have been very good. Lately, you've been getting a nice contribution from Vince Velasquez. I think their starting staff is third in the majors 
in innings pitched. Yes. Uh, they're like fourth or fifth in the majors with 22 quality starts. I'll take that any day of the week. I'll take Zach Wheeler any day of the week. Zach Eflin, Aaron Nola. They can they can pitch for for um, this you know your team any day of the week. They're, mm-hmm. they're quality quality major league starters, but they're also human, uh, and they can't walk a tightrope every time they take a mound mm-hmm. because they have no run support because they have no margin for error. I mean, Sandy Koufax used to hang a curveball. You you know you you. You can't go into a game with pitch, pitching uh, in the back of your mind. I can't make a mistake. I can't make a mistake because I know we're only going to score three runs. We're yeah. only going to score two runs. So um, they, they, you know, winning solves everything and scoring runs also solves everything uh, uh, in a lot of ways. So they need to score more runs. I think that'll take some pressure off the pitchers. It might even take some pressure off the defense. Uh, because when you're in a tight game and you know you're a crappy defensive team, mm-hmm. um, you're out there saying uh, in the eighth and ninth inning, Oh gosh, I don't want to be the one to throw this one away tonight, you know? So if you get some room for error, some breathing room, it would help everybody. Jim, this is a team that has 29 defensive errors in 51 games. That has to be driving Joe Girardi nuts. Oh, um, I, I would think uh, it is. I mean, he's, he's not going to reveal that, but de- I mean, he cares. Uh, and managers really care about defense. I mean, they work on it uh, all spring long. They work on it yeah. early in the day. At 2.30, they're out there working on it. And what happens when you have a poor-looking defensive team? I mean, the manager can't go out there and catch the ball and throw the ball. Exactly. Um, but what happens when you have a poor defensive team is you look unprepared. You don't look sharp. You look sloppy. You look like you don't know what the hell that you're doing. And unfortunately, that reflects right back on the manager. So I'm sure – it really grates on him. I mean, coming in, I don't think anybody thought they were going to be a good defensive team. I had a lot of conversations with people over the winter that I thought they only had one above average defensive player. Mm-hmm. And this was over the winter. And that was the catcher, JT Realmuto. Uh, and I still feel that way. I just did not think they would be this bad defensively. Uh, I thought it would be a whole, I didn't think it would be a Grand Canyon, uh, but right now it is. <laughs> You know, there's still a lot of baseball to be played, but you can see that the frustrations have been evident. Uh, not too long ago, you know, we, we saw the uh, heated discussion between Gene Segura and, and Girardi in the dugout. And then recently the manager says, I am no longer sharing information with the media in terms of who's available and who's not day in and day out. We just feel this is in the best interest of the team. When it's always been a given that teams will share that kind of information you know, with the media, where right. do you think that, where do you think well, this comes from? Well, I think it's, it comes from just a handful of days ago when Joe admitted to not telling the truth about Bryce Harper's health, you know, instead, instead of saying, Hey, he's banged up. Yeah. Instead of saying, I really don't want to say anything. He flat out said he's fine. He's healthy when he wasn't. So um, there's a difference between saying nothing and saying something completely false, as you know. Um, and then the next day they admitted to it and he had to apologize for the way he handled it. And then three days later, he's got a new policy. He's not going to say anything right. about a player's availability. Uh, sounds like he might be trying to save himself from himself. Uh, <laughs> I questioned the strategy, um, of, of, um, pushing away interest in your ball club when you haven't had a winning season in nine mm-hmm. years, when the gates are just about to be fully open. Um, uh, when the Sixers have passed you on the sporting ladder in town, <laughs> I would think you would welcome any and all interest. Um, 
He's not spiting the reporters. Uh, I think he thinks he is, but I will tell you, I know this group of people who cover the team. Yeah. I know guys who cover teams in all towns. We don't take it personally. I don't take it personally one iota. Uh, if Joe Girardi never answers another question, it's not going to affect my life one iota. Um, but, you know, we're proud professionals and we take pride in informing the fans on what the hell is going on with their team. Mm -hmm. Tell me what's going on with my team. When you bump into somebody at a barbecue stand, they want to know what's happening with the Eagles. They're relying on you to tell them what's going on with their team. That's you have right. pride in that. So if you can't get information, um, basically, uh, you, you can't tell the fans as much. Right. And, and that doesn't make a lot of sense to me if I was a team executive. Um, you know, to shut off interest because, you know, they are your paying customers. Mm -hmm. They pay the bills. You would think you want to let them in on as much information as possible. I understand, totally understand the nature of um, having a competitive edge and not telling your, your rivals too many secrets. Uh, I've covered this game for a long time. Every manager I've ever covered has had that philosophy, yeah. but they've been able to manage to walk that tightrope Um and uh, you, the other, you have to give the other managers a little more credit than that. You don't want to tell Don Mattingly that Bryce Harper's hurt, but Bryce Harper comes out and it doesn't even have his uniform top on. Yep. The, the Florida Marlins, Miami Marlins are smarter than that. The, so scouting and data collection and um, just surveillance of other teams is so sophisticated. By you clamming up, the other team um, – then they're, they're not gaining any upper hand here. Uh, this, to me, sounds spiteful. It sounds a little bit like he's maybe a little embarrassed that he, in his way of handling the previous situation with Bryce Harper. So this is his new policy or the team's new policy or baseball operations new policy. I'm going to guess, um, and these things blow over quick in, in baseball mm -hmm. all the time. I mean, reporters and managers – they battle all the time, and the next day it's over. You know, slap each other on your back, and you move on. Uh, the, the Harper thing, which happened on, like, Monday and Tuesday, was over. It was done and gone until Joe picked at the wound yesterday and made it a bigger story than it needed to be. He totally <laughs> mishandled this thing. Uh, but I'm going to say this. I think it'll blow over quickly, and uh, eventually his policy will loosen up. And uh, he'll be able to say, instead of, you don't have to give away family secrets, but you can say, yeah, guy's banged up a little bit. But you know what? Late in the game, he's going to he's going to be ready to be Kirk Gibson mm -hmm. if I need him. Mm -hmm. And uh, and now you've covered your bases and you move on and, and everybody everybody's happy. I do think a little bit of this goes back to what we talked about earlier. Yeah. Uh, the, the Zoom world has 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 um, really affected the ability to build relationships and, and gain um background information from the people you cover and, and it's been stressful on people and maybe this is just um kind of it all coming to a head i think it will pass um but you know if joe's going to clam up for competitive strategic reasons he thinks it's going to help them win ball games then hey go out and win 10 in a row let's see it big mm -hmm. boy uh, I picked up on something you said a few moments ago. You were talking about the top of the Phillies pitching staff and that you were fine with them you, and you felt they've given quality innings um, in a lot of ways. But when you look at the staff at a whole, as a whole, uh, they've given up a league worth 64 home runs, I believe it is. Um, is there any way to, 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 to patch up the dam and stop the leaking in that regard? Because you're right. You look at Zach Eflin. You look at Wheeler. You look at Aaron Nola. You know, they, sometimes they come out there and they pitch like all-star pitchers. And then occasionally they have, like any pitcher, they have those moments where they can't find a plate, you know, and they're watching the ball sail out of the yards like we're, we're watching Fourth of July fireworks. Well, I think that's the nature of the game. You're going to give up home runs, especially pitching this ballpark. 
even the greatest pitchers on earth make mistakes over the yes. plate. Um, you make a mistake over the plate, it's going to get hit hard. Um, you know, I think it's important to note, to note as, as good as Wheeler, Eflin, and Nola have been the top three, uh, really a strong point of the team. You know, I don't know that any of them are Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, John Smoltz, uh, Kershaw, Verlander, Scherzer in their prime. Yeah, uh, I think they're very, very good. Uh, but I think it's unrealistic to, to expect them not to have a bad game here or there, not to give up some home runs. I think Aaron Nola has been a little off this year. It's given up mm-hmm. more fly balls, probably mm-hmm. given up a higher home run rate than um, than he he would like. Eflin had that one game where he gave up a couple in Washington. Yeah. Uh, you've given up some in the bullpen. Um, but, you know, for the most part, uh, I, I I would take the starting pitching. I mean, yep. it was kind of troubling what we were seeing in the four and five spots. Uh, but lately, Velasquez has emerged, done a pretty good job at four. I mean, Spencer Howard has a lot of upside. He's sort of filling that number five spot. So uh, on the in the grand scheme, I think, uh, the home runs or the starting pitching is 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 not nearly this team's biggest flaw. That said, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think if Dave Dombrowski was probably going to address anything at the trade deadline, if they're in it, you know, he probably might look at the back end of the rotation, and I think he might look at at setup relief and, and just getting even some more. Uh, try to get somebody locked down maybe at the end of the game. I mean. Alvarado's exciting with that arm, but he's a, he's an adventure, man. I mean, yep. I, he pack, you know, you need two packs of Rolades to watch him. Hector <laughs> um, Neris to me is far from lockdown, so I think those are are, are bigger issues. And and the home runs are going to happen. The key to that is don't walk people in front of the home runs. Exactly. You know? So. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> you know, before the season began, I'm, I'm looking at scouting reports of various teams, and and one thing that caught my eye is one of the scouting reports in the Phillies was Aaron Nola is not a, a staff ace. You know, and I'm thinking, you know, when I look back on his career, there's been times where you could argue, oh yes, he is. I mean, he's got the stuff, but you know, you're right. There's other times where it, it, it's it's you're wondering like, okay, and, and I look at his numbers from this year, just a month of May alone. Uh, one win in his last five starts. He's lost his last three decisions. He's averaged in a month about five and a half, six innings. But I'm looking at his pitch count, like 114, 103, 98, 97. I mean, that's not good when you consider the volume of volume of innings that he's given his team. He Something has seemed off on him really all season, except for that Sunday afternoon. Uh, shutout at Citizens Bank Park of the St. Louis Cardinals. He's just been a little off. He's even admitted to it uh, that his command is not as crisp as mm. he's enjoyed in the past. And he's a guy, he's not a guy who's going to just power the heck on you. Right. He's a he's 100% pitcher. You know, four pitches, change speeds, battle, put those yeah. pitches in good spots. And he, he struggled with his, his, his pinpoint location and his command. Mm-hmm. He struggled with some of his off speed stuff. His change ups been hit or miss His breaking balls been hit or miss. You know, in past years, he has that great sinking fastball, that two seam yep. fastball uh, that kind of like just kind of fades into the fades in and down to that right-handed hitter. Like Zach Wheeler throws like Zach Eflin throws. They got three guys who have good sinker balls. Um, and, and Nola has thrown that less this year than in other years. Uh, and I actually asked him about it. I, I was wondering if if maybe the data was wrong or 
mm. or what. He you know admitted he wasn't throwing it as much, and he said he just hasn't had a great feel for it. Um, I will say two nights ago he pitched in Miami. I, I thought he had the best breaking ball I've seen, uh, but something's been a little amiss there. But even though it's been a little amiss, he's still pretty good. He's still very good. I yes. would take him any day. People always say, oh, he's not an ace. I mean, what is an ace? Yeah. You know, yeah. ace, you can you can look, at, uh, you know, in, in the in the, in the the small picture, are you an ace of a team or are you an ace globally, you know? Um, I, I don't think Aaron Nola is a number one starter by the pure classic definition of all those guys I mentioned before. Yes. You know, Randy Johnson in his prime, mm -hmm. Schilling in his prime, Smoltz in his prime, Verlander in his prime. Scherzer and his prime, those are number ones. Koufax, those are guys that when you wake up that morning, you say to yourself, oh, bleep, I have to face this guy tonight. Yep. And I don't know anybody that says that about Aaron Nola. But that said, he's still an awfully good pitcher. He might not be a number one, but right. you know what? You can win a World Series with, with um, four number twos. Because you know what? You're going to be a pretty damn good pitcher to be a number two at this level. And, you know, the kind of way I look at it is that's kind of what they have is uh, three kind of number twos. And uh, maybe Zach Wheeler is starting to knock on the door of being a number one. And I, honestly, I think that's enough in a short series if you can get enough uh, – a short playoff series if you can get there. And if you can get enough help from your four and five spots, just keep you in some games. And then when the four and five guys keep you in the games, you got to score some runs for them. Yeah. And then you got to have a have a um, a tight bullpen, and, and you just got to catch the ball behind these guys because mm -hmm. poor defense, like I said, makes a manager look bad. But it also it, it can it can ruin an outstanding pitching performance in in three swings of the bat. If you were a decision maker with the Phillies, and let's say as you just mentioned, this team is still in it at the trade deadline, what kind of moves would you make? to make this a better team, offensively, defensively, pitching? What kind of moves would you make? I, at this moment, and they could change. I mean, hey, a month ago, we thought they were going to need a center fielder. Yes. Uh, they're on center fielder number four, and Odubel Herrera is doing a pretty good job, seems to have eliminated that need. I would like somebody locked down late in that bullpen. Somebody has a nice, slow heartbeat that mm. doesn't get all all um, crazy and high-wired and, and when the game's on the line. I mean, there's a lot of tension out there. Uh, so I, I kind of would love a, a lockdown uh, eighth or ninth inning guy uh, that you could slide everybody down a little bit, really make that bullpen a, a strength. And I, I would look for a, a veteran stabilizer at the back end of that bullpen. And, and I hope they're not looking for a third baseman. I hope they're not looking for a, ver a veteran third baseman because Alec Bohm is struggling in the field and uh, or struggling at the plate. Now he seems to be taking it to the field. I know he never had the, um, the the reports where he was never a gold glove defender, but I think he is better than this. I just think mm -hmm. he's kind of in a little funk in his entire game. And I think he's going to be a good player. And, and I kind of um, – I, I hope he turns it around in the month of June. He seems like a strong-minded kid, so I'm going to think he will. But if he doesn't, um, you might need to do something veteran-wise – uh, at third base. The only problem there is you don't have a lot of trade capital. The farm system yeah. is weak and the prospects you do have, you want to hang on to because they need to start bringing their own people to the major leagues, especially pitchers. I mean, you can't afford to have to go out and, and sign a Zach Wheeler all the time and a, and a Bryce Harper all the time, because that just kills your payroll. You need to be bringing, bringing your own young guys uh, impactful and affordable to the big leagues. 
Uh, you can't just do business on the free agent market forever because it's just unsustainable. So not sure what Dave Dombrowski can do or will do. He doesn't tip his hand. But I think those are some areas that he might look at as long as the team stays in it. Yep. The way things have gone now for two months, I think they have every you know chance to, to, to stay in it because – the division is cooperating uh, yep. with with them, and as long as nobody runs away with it, I think they can stay there. If they can get healthy and whole, and and uh, just improve the defense a little, improve the offense a little bit, I think they'll become more interesting. You know, I don't want to just sit here and browbeat the Phillies. I mean, because as I said, and I want to emphasize it again in this podcast, there is still a lot of baseball oh, yeah. to play. They are in a division that is wide open. It's a coin flip right now. But one of the bright spots I do like about this team is that young catcher, Rafael Marchand. I, oh, yeah. I, I like this kid. Um, but obviously, when Rio Muto gets back, he's not going to get much playing time. But when you talk about looking for players to the future, you have to build within your own system. Um, this kid, what is he, 22 years old? Um, yeah. I love his arm. I love his savvy behind the plate. I love everything about this kid. He is a baseball player. Uh, he's a Venezuelan kid. He grew up as a shortstop, idolized uh, Omar Vizquel, as every infielder from Venezuela does. Uh, the Phillies first watched him play in uh, Latin America when he was 14 years old. Yeah. And yeah. They, they, loved, they loved his instinct. They loved everything about him. He was a baseball player. Uh, but the body type didn't project as a shortstop. Um, they were interested in signing him and – um, they were interested in, and they eventually moved him to catcher. Uh, and, and that happens a lot. It happened with Carlos Ruiz. It happened with JT Real Mudo. He was an infielder. I mean, you know, a lot. Jim Tomey was a shortstop. Shane Victorino was a shortstop. I mean, sure. you know, at that age, you're always putting your best player at that position. But yeah, this kid's got great actions. He's got great um, uh, baseball IQ. Uh, you know, he was a middle of the diamond player as an infielder. He's a middle of the diamond player now. And that's where you want your best players. Uh, very good hands. Very, very coachable. Picked up the catching position very quickly. They did an excellent job with him in their player development system, uh, making him a catcher. Throws well. I mean, we saw him pick off a runner Thursday in Miami and everybody said, wow, what a great arm. That pickoff started with the head. That yeah. started with the head when he made eye contact with Reese Hoskins thinking, hey, this guy's a little got a little wander in him over there. I might come at him. They made eye contact. And then it started with the footwork. Great footwork, delivered a strike to Hoskins, picked off um, Miguel Rojas, another guy from Venezuela. So I'm sure they'll probably have some fun with that if they play <laughs> each other in, in winter ball. But, yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely uh, projects as a, defense, a major league defensive catcher. Whether or not the bat comes along um, yeah. is another story. But, you know, as a backup catcher in the big leagues, it has to be defense first. And I think he can really uh, do a good job for them as a backup guy. But sure. at some point, they got to get him to AAA. He needs to play every day uh, for, his, for his development. And then you're like, okay, is he going to be our guy or somebody else's guy? Because you have JT signed for four years after this year. Uh, he might be young enough that he can be JT's understudy for a while. Mm and then become your number one guy. Uh, but, you know, catching's a premium position. Uh, middle infield guys are premium. I'm sorry, middle middle of the diamond guys are premium yep. in baseball. And uh, and he's a good one. Um, so he's I think he's a feather in their cap uh, for their player development system. They've done a good job of them. It would be nice if they had about 10 more of them because they are just very thin in the, in the system on position player prospects. But you're very right to like um, Rafael Machan. Joe Girardi loves him. 
Um, and uh, yeah, he, he, he's a good one. He's fun to watch play. Uh, and he, he plays, you know, he plays with his head. He's a, he's a heady, heady ball player. And that's what you need behind the plate because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, he's the guy with the whole field in front of him. And uh, you know, they've been compared to quarterbacks and, um, you know, I don't know if there's as much on their plate as a football quarterback, but you get the analogy. It's, sure, it's sort of sure. a uh, command center back there. He does. He's got a very, very bright future. How many years have you been covering pro baseball? Oh wow! I uh, I I started covering uh, baseball in uh, 1988. I started covering uh, the AAA Pawtucket Red Sox in 1988, and uh, you know, I came from a baseball family. Um. You know, my, my, I was, uh, been cleaning out my, uh, my boyhood home. I lost my dad a couple of years ago and, uh, he actually did some scouting. I don't know if he'd want to admit me admitting to this, but he was a scout <laughs> for, for this. He has uh, paperwork being hired as a scout by the Seattle pilots who were one of the worst teams in the history of baseball, but he did some scouting in new England for them, um, back in, uh, their, their one and only year in the late sixties. And I kept it all. I have it over here. And then he moved over with when they went to Milwaukee. And he worked yep. for them for two years when they became the Brewers. And um, and then he smartened up and realized that uh, there are probably not, <laughs> you know, much as he loved the game. And uh, he did other things with his summers. He was a teacher. But uh, uh, scouting was a lot different back then. But, you know, yeah. I grew up in a baseball family. And, um you know, my my parents, we had a lot of newspapers in the house and because they were teachers and we had books in the house. So it was kind of the perfect blend, a little baseball and 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 and, and words. And here I am, baseball writer. So I've been doing it a long time. And uh, and, you know, as much as I love the game and uh, writing about the game, I love the people in the game. Yeah. You probably say the same thing about, you know, baseball people are are, you know, you know, just uh, it's just great to be around the game and around baseball people. And honestly, it's been tough during this pandemic. It's, sure. it's uh, can't wait till it goes away. All right. How many years you've been covering the Phillies now? So 94 was my first year covering the Phillies. I covered okay. it for two, two years. And then I exited for a year and I went up to New York and I covered the Yankees in 1996 for the New York post. Mm. And I was a first year guy in New York, the same year as Joe Girardi was a first year guy with the Yankees. And I really enjoyed covering him, got to know him, and now I'm covering him again. Uh, it's a whole different perspective. Uh, but so uh, 90, since 94 with the Phillies, with one year off to go to New York, cover the Yankees, and I came back in 97. You know, I figured the Yankees won the World Series in 96 and uh, and uh, figured, you know, they're on their own now. So I came back to, to Philly, and I'll tell you what, it was um, – it covered some really lean years at the end at Veterans Stadium, but it was – you know, I think as a reporter, and you'll agree with this, we, we enjoy we enjoy a good story, right? Yep. And it was a really good big picture story watching the team come out of Veterans Stadium, come into a whole new ballpark, and bring this core of players with them and kind of get good and have that great run. So it was it was it was kind of neat to watch them sort of rise from from nothing mm-hmm. and become, you know, at one point maybe the best team in baseball for three, four, five years. Um, I remember people, you know, when they're back in 20, 29, 10, 11, when they got um, uh, Halliday and Lee, people were comparing them to the Yankees. So from when they came out of Veterans Stadium um, and the nothingness of, of where they were to where they were after winning that World Series in 08 and then how good they were in 9, 10, and 11, it was um, 
what what a growth and then yep. they, they they tumbled off the radar screen again and they're still trying to get back there and uh you know i i think like i said i think they can be playoff relevant this year but i certainly wouldn't call them uh anything close to a powerhouse franchise when you look what's coming in the farm system just not enough not enough uh they need more they need more mm. so you've had almost three decades to cover this team. You've written a lot of incredible stories in your illustrious career. You've made a lot of great relationships with players, coaches, front office people. So I want to put you on spot a little bit. In the time that you have covered this Phillies team, give me your top three favorite players to cover. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Honestly, there's a, I don't know if I can give you one. Um, I knew I'd uh, catch you off guard. I had to throw that in there. You know, I, I'll say I, I liked uh, so many of them on a personal level, and I had so much respect for so many of them as, as competitors and people. I mean, a guy like Jim Tomey, an absolute privilege to know and to, to watch mm -hmm. and to cover him. I mean, it's such a unique relationship with Ruben Amaro Jr., covering him as a player, as assistant GM, as a GM – battling with him. And now I'm a colleague of his. Um, I loved covering Jimmy Rollins because Jimmy Rollins did exciting. He was a good guy, very smart, did exciting things on the field and said mm. exciting things after the game eloquently. I mean, does that make sense? I guess. As yeah, a dude, yeah. I loved covering <laughs> Kurt Schilling for the same reasons. Did exciting things on the field, said interesting, often provocative things after games. Hey, as a journalist, it was good copy. I like Billy Wagner for the same reason. Um, but there are guys that were much more, uh, much quieter. Doug Glanville. Um, Doug Glanville uh, was a fascinating guy to cover. Uh, uh, just one of the most compassionate, caring, smartest guys you'll ever, you'll ever meet. Uh, he wasn't loud and boisterous, but he was, spot on with his opinions. Uh, so boy, I, I hope I'm, I'm probably missing out on a, a lot of people. I mean, you know, covering Darren Dalton late in his career, watching what he went through to get on the field with his knees, covering Chase Utley, watching what he went through to get on the field with his knees. It's funny. A lot of reporters just say, oh, how come Chase never comes out and talks to us after the game? Mm. Um, I never said that because you know why he was packed in, in an iceberg. I yeah. mean, he was, he was had to, you know, ice like everything on his body just so he could play the next day. And then I remember like he'd come out and he'd have like his hip, uh, his, his hip and his knee uh, would be like, it looked like Hamburg because he would have uh, slid into the base hard or something and ripped mm. it up. So um, it just so many, so many guys that I'm sure I'm missing. You know, Mike Lieberthal was a great guy to cover. Incredibly yeah. honest. Yes, he was. Yep. There's a lot of guys that on this team that, that are, that, that are a lot of, of interesting guys and, and uh, fun to cover. Rex Hudler was a great guy to cover. I mean, uh, just a, an amazing character. I remember he came to Philadelphia in 97. He was here in 97 and 98. He didn't play well. He ended up getting released. And he got released in 98. And I went over to his locker and he started crying. Mm. And he, he looked at me. He started crying. And... Um, he, he looked at me, he used to call me steak because my last name is Salisbury. That's very original, but he looked, <laughs> he looked at me, he looked at me and goes, steak, I got fired today. And he busted out crying and he's like, trying, he's like hugging me. I didn't know what to do. 
But I mean, he's one of the greatest guys you'll ever ever meet. Charlie Manuel, Larry Boa, Francona. I mean, just great guys to cover. Um, I mean, how could you not like Charlie Manuel's story? I mean, he came yeah. here, nobody wanted him. They kicked him around like an old football, and now he can't buy a drink in town. He's so beloved. He gets the mm. biggest cheers. He gets the, he's like Bernie Parent. He gets the biggest cheers in town when he when he's out there. I mean, Larry Boa, the fight and the Philly's icon that he is. I think they should retire the number 10 in honor of him just uh, for his body of work as a, a player, manager, um, uh, you know, coach. Uh, he's done so much. So, um, yeah, the, the relationships have been, have been uh, you know, Dallas Green, I mean, another one. So the relationships have been really the, the highlight uh, of it all. Like I said, I love the game. Mm. I love the game within the game, the pitcher batter showdown, the catcher trying to set up the, the hitter. Uh, but as much as I love the game, I love the people in it. And um, so that's why it's, it's been so rewarding. Who's the one most colorful player that you've ever covered in a major league? Well, I go back to Jimmy and Schilling and Wagner. No, no, no. You only get one. You can't have four or five. You get one. <laughs> most colorful? Um, boy, uh, you know, it's probably Jimmy Rollins. He okay. Was, you All know, right. Jimmy Rollins, I, I remember I was doing a story <laughs> with him. Um, and when he became the Phillies all-time hits leader, I, I, I sat down with him and I spent two weeks on this, like, cause you know, he's, he's busy getting ready for games. So I get like two minutes here, five minutes here, 10 minutes here. But yeah. my goal yep. was to get Jimmy's top 10 hits in his career, you know? And, um, one of them, I said, I said, I'm including this one, Jimmy. I said, I remember your, like, I think it was your first or second big league home run. You flipped the bat on Steve Klein, who was a veteran reliever. This kid's just up from AAA and flips the bat, and he starts laughing. He remembered it, he, and Klein is yelling at him the whole way around the bases. But, you know, Jimmy had style. He was colorful. Uh, but, man, could he pick it. He was a great defensive mm -hmm. ball player and, and a good hitter. I mean, I think about that 07 season when he had the, what, the – I, you know, he led off that clinching game with the when he won the MVP. Right. Uh, led off with that triple. I mean, Jimmy just had a way of rising to the occasion. He was like Lenny Dykstra, red light player when it was on. You know, I remember he hit a big home run in the playoffs out in Dodger Stadium, and the place was so quiet, and all you could hear was was the people under the press box cheering. It was Jimmy's family. Um, so he was a very colorful guy. Um, you know, said and Jimmy could Jimmy could make fun of himself. I mean, he knows he knew Charlie benched him here and there for not running, or he was late for a game in New York and one day, and and he would he would he kind of would uh, you know when the when the dust settled on it and the, yeah. the furor settled down, he would make fun of himself. Um, so I would say Jimmy was probably the most colorful, but there were I'm sure there's definitely a long list of of <laughs> other guys on that list. <laughs> Look, uh, I know I've taken up a lot of your time. I won't take up much more. But before I wrap up this podcast, um, I, I want to talk about Jim Salisbury, not the baseball writer, uh, but the father. And I go back to 2017, and we all received this numbing news that Jim Salisbury's daughter, Mary, had suffered a spinal stroke. And it just it caught us all off guard. And, and we were, like, just speechless. And here we are, and I can't even I can't even begin to imagine what you and your family were going through. But here we are, almost four years later, 
and I was working with you at NBC Sports Philadelphia at the time when it happened. How's Mary doing today? She's um, still recovering. Um, and she's doing, you know, I mean, like, you know, it's like a coach tells a player, you know, give me your best, do the best you can. And she does it every day and gives us her best and gives herself her best and is an unbelievable inspiration. Um, we're lucky to have her and um, we're grateful to have her. And uh, she's almost four years out. Uh, yeah, it's, it's life changing for everybody, for her. Um, you know, a lot of in a lot of ways, her life is shat- was shattered, and uh, mm-hmm. she was just getting out of college and mm-hmm. beginning uh, her career. Uh, but you know, almost four years later, she's getting closer to being uh, to being able to maybe resume that career. Mm-hmm. And she's going to do great things with her life. Um, I know that she's got two. She's got like the a Hall of Fame mother, first ballot. <laughs> <laughs> my wife and uh, she's got two unbelievable sisters who are there for her and always going to be there for her, but she's most importantly there for us. And uh, so every day is, uh, you know, it's, it. there's, you know, it's not easy, but it's also, she's a great blessing. And um, I, I, you know, they have comeback player of the year in baseball. I think she's going to be comeback player of the century. She's going to, I'm not sure what it is yet, but she's going to do something unbelievable with her life and she's going to inspire uh, a lot of people. And um, like she inspires me every day. So, uh, mm. you know, thank you for asking about her. And um, she's, she's, uh, she's, she's doing okay. She's, 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 she's doing okay. Well, that, that's good news to hear. And I like to use, when I talk about, people and, and how much they're respected and loved. I like to use the term, a man should be judged not by the money he accumulates in his life, but by the amount of friends and respect he has in his life. And, and I look at when that happened and the medical costs were, were projected to be astronomical. Um, and there was a fund set up. And, and I look at some of the people who, who jumped on board and contributed to that fund. Brad Lidge, Jamie Moyer, Jason Stark, Ruben Amaro, Scott Rowland, numerous broadcasters, beat writers. I, I think that says a lot about Jim Salisbury, not baseball writer, but Jim Salisbury, the person, how he affects people, and how people respect and love him. Oh, Would you agree with that? That's nice you say. I mean, all, all those folks you mentioned are, you know, some of the greatest people on earth. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, she's, she, she's, she's doing okay. I mean, she's, she's, yeah. uh, it was, there are a lot of, a lot of, there were just a lot of challenges um, with paralysis. Uh, I mean, that a lot of them that people don't even re- realize that the daily challenges that go along with this. Um, and, um, but man, she just out there, taking it head on and, and doing a great job. So uh, it's, you know, it's, it's opened all our eyes to, um, you know, she goes to <clears throat> McGee rehab and uh, great, unbelievable people down there. And, um, you know, every day, Derek, um, people come through those uh, doors and wheelchairs and who've had spinal cord injuries like Mary and other injuries and, the workers there do amazing work um, with those folks. And, 
um, it, it affects a lot of lives. And, um, you know, so uh, it's, you know, that's really all I can say about it. It's, it's just, mm. there's a lot of great people out there um, that, that, that want to help. And, and gosh, if, if anybody had an extra um, prayer in their, in their prayer duffel bag, I mean, offer one up to maybe we can cure paralysis someday. Um, and because um, it's really, it's really heartbreaking to see how, Mm-hmm. A young person, any person's life uh, can change in, in a blink of an eye. And um, and it would be great if uh, they could ever come up with something to 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 fix it. And um, so but, you know, you know, that's that's what we can hope for. But, yeah, I'm just. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm just grateful for her and I'm grateful for all the people who've. Uh, kept her in uh, their thoughts and prayers. And she's going to repay it to this world mm-hmm. because she's going to do something great in this world. Uh, you watch. Well, when I say this, you know, I mean it from the heart, Jim Salisbury, you are one of a kind. Thank um, you, I have one of the, I have the utmost respect for you. I, I don't think I need to tell you that. I think you knew that. Um, but I just wanted to put it out there that I have the utmost respect for you. I'm still praying for you and your family. Um, and I can't thank you enough for taking this time uh, to talk about baseball, family. Um, and hopefully I can get you on again uh, yeah. before the year's over. I would love to have you on again uh, to talk about whatever on a gun on one podcast. Maybe we'll talk about, uh, you know, I have a smoker too. I uh, like you. I, oh, I, uh, I get you- after it. I, I do pork butt. I do turkey breast. I do wings. I do uh, ribs. I do it all, bro. You uh, you shouldn't have told me that because now you definitely will be back on. We're going to talk barbecuing with Jim Salisbury. We're going to compare notes. You know, see, I don't like to give out too many secrets to people because then people take your secrets and, and they use them for whatever. You know, but you know, every now and then it's okay to share. It's all yeah. right to share, you know. Yeah. But Jim Salisbury, thank you so much, man. Um, I really appreciate it. Keep doing what you do, brother, and hopefully we can get some normalcy back in our lives in the sports world. All right. Thanks, Steve. All right, brother. And that's going to wrap up this latest edition of Gun on One, the podcast brought to you by Patterson Square Garden. As I tell you guys each and every week, uh, continue to be blessed, but more importantly, extend yourselves and be a blessing to each and every person you encounter in your life. Until next time, so long, everybody. of D-Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. Elvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Elvin Shabazian. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit gunonone.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.